The biggest thing that makes a B2B or company podcast different from a podcast that's made for passion or as a business in and of itself is that it needs to justify its existence. Most businesses can't have a podcast just because it's going to sound cool and feel good, even if it sounds cool and makes everyone feel good. There is more and more understanding among marketing and executive decision makers that a podcast can be a solid part of a brand spending strategy, but it shouldn't be the only way you're planning to see value at a show for your company. You know, eventually you've got to get more out of it than just more brand awareness. There are better, faster, and more efficient ways to make a podcast an integral part of your marketing. And today's guest is going to talk about how. Rob Stevenson is the podcast host and producer of multiple podcasts with more than 300 episodes under his belt and a huge amount of experience in B2B marketing. He's joining me today on the Business Podcast Blueprint Show. Rob, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my absolute pleasure, Megan. Great to be here. Well, you just mentioned right before we hit record that this is kind of fun for you because you are rarely a guest. You're more often a host. So how are you feeling sitting in the hot spot today? It's exciting. I'm normally the one trying very hard to think of the question I want to ask, the follow up and all that stuff. And now I just get to be asked about my opinion, which everyone loves doing that, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, it's so fun to talk about yourself and get to the chance to expound is really enjoyable. But that's why we have our own podcast. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. So to get things started, a little warm up, who in the entire world, and let's even expand this to living or dead, would be the most exciting guest for you to speak to on your own podcast? I mean, living or dead, we would just have to be really selfish and be like, I don't know, it's not relevant to my audience, but JFK, <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Moses, <laughs> hey, Steve Jobs. But those are the big three. <laughs> no, I if I was to constrain it to living, I would also probably be selfish. But there's this guy, Balaji Srinivasan is his name. And he was the chief technology officer for Coinbase. He exited a bioinformatics company for a bajillion dollars, general partner at A16 Hertz. And uh, just fascinating guy. And I, I listened to him on podcasts and he just monologues for like 15, 20 minutes about the future. And he's just like kind of always right and just fascinating guy. And I don't know how relevant he would be to my audience, but I think there would be an angle with the recruiting show I do because he talks a lot about future of work and how like the Web3 and the blockchain will disrupt how we qualify ourselves for jobs. And he has this idea about how your resume will be replaced by NFTs. And so it's like someone can look at your blockchain wallet or dress or whatever, and they can say, oh, one of Megan's bosses said she successfully shipped this product at some company. And now there's like LinkedIn endorsement. It's more transparent, it's more verifiable, that sort of thing. So I think there would be like an angle to be like, hey, what's future of work look like? Will I be able to get a job because I have a purple cape on in the metaverse? And then someone can look at that and know that, oh, Rob has a purple cape. That means he has five years of experience in Ruby on Rails or something. It's like a karate belt, you know, that kind of thing. So this is just a really fascinating guy. If you want to have your mind blown, search his name on your podcasting app. But selfishly, that's who I would talk to. Well, that's really cool. That sounds like a concept Neil Stevenson wrote in one of his crypto futurism books. Cryptonomicon, right? Yeah. Didn't he like invent the term metaverse? Isn't like the first appearance of it, I think, was uh, was in his novel. Maybe, maybe. But I'm thinking of in the fall, he has this concept for like online virtual identification. You have like a holograph and it is the indisputable proof of everything that you've done online. It would be really cool if blockchain could do that. I'm mostly just mad at them that they haven't fixed international banking yet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Disruption now. I was 
promised a jetpack. When is this going to fix things? <laughs> it's just like, please just make it easier for me to send money places. That's all I want from it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's start start with that before we get the metaverse capes. <laughs> please. Well, you mentioned your audience and your podcast. So tell me a little bit about them. What are you talking about and to whom are you speaking? Yeah. So right now I host two shows. I host a show on recruitment called Talk Talent to Me, where I sit down with CHROs, chief people officers, VPs of talent, those sorts of folks. And we kind of just shoot the breeze about whatever they're working on, what are the challenges in the space. And it's all about how to hire folks and how to grow organizations, how to set up processes to make sure that you can bring people on in an equitable, bias-free manner and hyper growth and all those great goals you have when you're growing companies. So that's kind of my longest running show. I've been doing that one for three and a half or four years now, north of 200 episodes. And then I launched another one last year that's called How AI Happens, where I sit down with machine learning engineers, sometimes CEOs of companies deploying AI, sometimes academics, and similar kind of tone where they just sort of document their challenges in the space. And we speak all about the rigors of developing AI technology and machine learning, how to build it in an ethical manner, in a thoughtful manner, in a bias-free manner. So those are the two shows I'm I'm a voice on. And then I, I produce a couple other shows for companies. And that's same idea. It's pitched as a another pillar of a holistic content marketing strategy. Oh, that's what I love to hear. How did you get into all of this? Yeah, so rewind to 2014, I want to say. And I was working at this HR technology company. And I was kind of the first marketing hire. And I was doing a little bit of everything. I was doing the content. I was like writing the blog. I was doing the social media. I was doing the paid search and the ads. I was doing the live events, just like a Swiss army knife like you are in an early stage at a startup. And at the same time, I was really getting into podcasts. And I was listening to these shows, you know, like the embarrassing entry points for us all as podcasters, like it was serial, you know, it was hardcore history. It was nothing embarrassing about liking serial. Going to put that out there. <laughs> Sarah Koenig's fantastic. It's so mainstream. It makes me feel basic. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but that was it's the PSL of podcasts. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. It kind of is. But it's such a well-produced show. And that was my entry point. And I was listening to a bunch of different podcasts and sort of drawing the parallel to the content marketing I was doing at my company. And I went to the VP and said, hey, listen to a lot of podcasts. And the same thing that makes for a really good podcast is the same thing that makes for really good content marketing. It is accessible in lots of formats. It features expertise. It's niche. So ergo, we should have a podcast. And he's like, yeah, I agree. Here's the company credit card. Try and keep it under a thousand bucks. <laughs> so I then like went to my computer and Googled what microphone does Mark Marin use, you know, and then just sort of started figuring out as I went along. I met that initial podcast was myself and it was the VP of recruiting for that company and the VP of customer success. And I was trying to create the same kind of content I was on the blog and on webinars and on ebooks, but in a different medium. And those early episodes, oh, they're so embarrassing. I had no idea how to capture audio to begin with, right? I had no idea how to edit and master audio. I had no idea how to drive an interview, all that stuff. But over the years, over the episodes, I f figured a couple of things out and years went by and eventually I just managed to kind of make it my full career, right? I was able to stop doing all the other demand generation and content marketing stuff that I had sort of built my career on and pivot into podcasting. Well, and I imagine one of the things you found out while you were going through this process and at some point, we're all going to have to listen to our first episodes. And I think that's a universal podcasting experience. But <laughs> I imagine you learned pretty early on that what's going to work in a business or a company and a show that's produced for a business or a company, you know, what works for Serial isn't going to work for them. So talk to me a little bit about 
shows for companies, B2B podcasts. I know, you know, you've got a lot of experience in this area. What makes them different than the true crime or the real passion-based hobby podcasts out there? Yeah, I would say the basis is like funding compared to like the hobby podcast is, you know, that lots of podcast creators are just desperately trying to build an audience so that they can sell access to the advertisers or there's a direct subscription model as well. And B2B shows aren't really playing that game. You know, it makes money in other ways. And because it's funded, it can kind of contribute to a holistic content marketing strategy, like I said earlier, in a way that most shows don't prioritize or can't do it, don't have the, you know, the bandwidth to do. So if you told an indie podcaster who has an awesome show, look, you need a YouTube channel, you need a blog, you need to do some live events, you need some paid search, we're going to spend 20 grand a month on this, you need to ask the same question at the end of every interview so you can turn it into an ebook after 20 episodes, you need to do live webinars, their head would explode, right? There's no <laughs> way they can do all that. But when you have three or four marketers who all spend a little bit of time on something like this, or you have PR people or whatever, when there's more resources, you can do some of those things. You can kind of boil the ocean in a way with a B2B podcast in a way that you can't as a one person army. But then also, when you look at the other the institutions like the WNYCs or the NPR, they just have so much experience with storytelling and audio and, and all that. And so you kind of can't really play that game either. You can't be Sarah Koenig. You don't have the resources to know how to interview, to follow up leads, to do the journalistic thing. That's a very different kind of show. So production quality is not necessarily going to be worse, but it's going to be different. And you just kind of have to figure out storytelling as you go in a way that the people who work at WNYC who have been doing this for 20 years, right? They have that leg up on you always. Yeah. And, and I listened to the things you mentioned because you're really starting to talk about the strategy that goes into a business podcast or we call them company shows sometimes and just dropped it like it was nothing. Oh yeah. Ask the same question. So you can write an ebook after 20 episodes. Have you done that for someone? Does it work? How did you like it? Yeah, it was great. I think the question was like, what advice would you give to people who want to wind up in your job? So you asked that of 20 VPs. And then that content is great for anyone who's below a VP who is ambitious about their role. Then the ebook looks something like 20 Fortune 500 VPs share their best advice for career growth. If you are auto-generating your transcripts, you pull that out. You don't even have to write the copy, right? You pull out 20 pull quotes. You like make it pretty with you get your designer to dress it up. You have a paragraph between each quote sort of unpacking it. And then you put it behind a form and bang, you have convertible content. So little tricks like that. A podcast can contribute to every other channel of content marketing in a way that other formats can't. Oh, good. And now we have the stinger. Perfect. So on the flip side of that, so you've got all these great things and you, know, you put a little strategy on the front end and a little repurposing on the back end. All works beautifully. Everything's gravy. But what are some of the challenges that you see companies facing when they're, how, okay, we're going to start a podcast. What do we do? What are some of the problems that they run into? Yeah. So there's a million your listeners will be happy to know. <laughs> <laughs> You're in for a world of hurt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But most of them are solvable. I'll, I'll give you that caveat, right? With enough time and, and thoughtfulness. So the ones right at the beginning where how is the content going to be repurposed, right? You want to make sure you get as much bang for your buck and get as much mileage out of it as you can. How do we reposition it as sales enablement? How do we grow the podcast? That's all stuff, like I said, you, you can fix in time. But some stuff you can't fix if you don't get it right early is what is the show about? Who is it for? Why does it exist? Why does your show exist? Really basic questions. What is the ideal outcome of this? And a lot of people will start a show because, oh, we should have a podcast, right? <laughs> we ought to be playing in this field. And yes, you should. But also, like you need to have a reason to exist. 
the first episode of this podcast was about exactly that topic. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Super important to just get that right early on. And from a marketing perspective, you want your sales team or, you know, your senior marketing folks ought to have come up with like the buyer persona doc of like, here are all the people who are involved in the deals. And then that is kind of your Bible when you're starting a show, depending if your goals are revenue, right? Like this is who your show is for. This is your audience. What do they care about? What are their pains? The show needs to address those pains. And so that's sort of your true north. So before anything else, before growth, before repurposing, make sure you nail that or you're going to hit a wall after 10 episodes. And then also I would push people away from a couple things. If you ask your PR folks or an agency to help you with a show, they'll be like, it's going to build brand equity. And I feel like you hear that you should just run. <laughs> it will, but... <laughs> it will, but like it doesn't keep the lights on and the ice cream from melting. And unless your CMO really, really gets the notion of brand spend versus pipeline spend, then even then I might not believe them if they're like, oh no, it's okay, Megan, this is going to be considered brand spend. So it never has to make money. I would be skeptical of that because eventually, especially in a smaller company, everything has to justify its existence by making money, unfortunately. So... It needs to be tied to revenue or your plug is going to get pulled. So the brand equity thing, like you said, it will do that. But does that need to be the main goal or can that just be like a nice little ancillary cherry on top? And then this is an, another one that it's not a hard rule, but I would be wary about making your CEO the host. The CEOs have heard podcasts. They want to be on a podcast. They have friends who are like in peers who are very elevated and they want to like document those conversations. And I'm not saying it can't work, but the biggest thing to think about there is, will I be able to get 45 minutes of my CEO's time every week at a turnum? You know, or even if you do like a, a 10 episode season based model, that's still a lot of time. And I can tell you right now, no, you can't. No, yeah, the answer's <laughs> probably not. But I've have seen it work. Reed Hoffman, Masters of Scale, you know, that guy's busier probably than anyone's CEO and has managed to do a really high profile podcast. So it's not like a hard and fast rule, but be really wary and just ask yourself, is it reasonable to expect to be able to schedule this person? When I was right about to launch my first podcast, I was lucky enough to speak with HubSpot's then CMO, Mike Volpe. And I asked him, they had just launched the growth show at HubSpot. And that's been a fantastically successful podcast for B2B folks. And I, I would recommend it if you are playing in this space. And I asked him, does the host need to be the senior most person? Because he was then the host of the growth show. And I was like, okay, like you're the host of HubSpot's podcast does the host of my company's podcast need to be someone like you and he was like no their research told them that it was better to index on personality rather than seniority so in general that's the hubspot guy so i feel like they probably dotted their i's and crossed their t's on that probably so. got some data behind that i think yeah. sounds, sounds reliable i want to dig a little more into a podcast need to justify itself in a business and uh, something we've talked a little bit about before is you've got a particularly interesting and exciting strategy for how different teams within an organization can use podcasts. So I would just love you to go on a little bit about particularly sales teams using podcast content in their work. Sure. So the secret weapon of a B2B podcast being a tool for account-based marketing, I feel like that's the secret's kind of out, you know? Everyone knows that like that's sort of the approach. Go something like this. The relationships you forge with the guests you feature on the show are more valuable than the audience. And it's really all about them. So a podcaster can get access to an enterprise VP much easier than a salesperson can, right? Your sales team is sending a million emails a week being like, hey, VP of whatever, just wanted to bubble my last email to the top of your inbox. 
And guess what? That VP gets a million emails like that a week, not just from you and your company, but from all of your competitors and everyone who's even playing in your space. So they're just going to completely mute that out. How many emails do they get a week from someone saying, hey, can I feature your work on a podcast? Like I said at the beginning, you want to share your opinion into a microphone? Like people are like, oh, hell yeah, let's do it. So now you have a foot in the door. Now you can have a relationship with this VP. You can succeed as a podcaster where sales can't. So that's kind of how that approach goes. Like I said, that secret is out. Here's the problem. Unless the salespeople are following up with those people or they're giving you the names of their accounts to feature and thus nurture into bigger renewals, if you're not operationalized like in Salesforce to be able to tag someone as like source equals podcast guest, or there's not like a auto way to make sure sales follows up, it's just not going to work. So basically to try and get sales buy-in, I've kind of taken a sales approach with the sales organization and salespeople will tell you, you just want to add value right away. I was like, okay, so how do I add value to the sales organization to get them to do what I want? So sales is the account I want to curry favor with. So one, make the content you know is relevant to them and their account's needs. And then I show up at their meetings and I you know, ask their team lead or whomever, hey, can I get five minutes at the end of your meeting or the beginning of your meeting, what have you? And then I pitch them the episode and I say, hey, I did this episode with this guest. I thought it would be relevant for you to share with any of your accounts who have XYZ pain points because this guest talks all about it. They're an expert in their space. They've done it. So their knowledge is going to be super helpful to your accounts. So now I've added value to them because they can then in turn add value to their accounts and they can send an email that's like, hey, so-and-so, no ask here. We just did this episode. Thought it might be useful to you. Let me know what you think. Send. No, can I get a meeting? No, tell me about your needs. No, let's get in a demo. Just here's a free thing that's hopefully going to add value to you. Then you also make it easier for them, right? Like write the copy, give them the social assets, ask them one-on-one, you know, like it's good to be in the sales meetings, but also like get on Slack or whatever and message people one-to-one be like, hey, would you mind sharing this? Do you have any accounts who this would be good for? And you do that for a few weeks. And then once you continue adding value, eventually then you can make the ask, right? You add value as many times as possible. And then eventually you make the ask. And the ask is, do you have any people I can feature? Can I get access to your accounts? And it's going to help them. But you just have to sort of hold their hand a little bit and then get them to the point where they're comfortable letting you help them. <laughs> so sales kind of as the primary target for your podcast marketing, basically. Yeah, exactly. It's like sales enablement content, right? Like that is ultimately what all revenue tied content is. So you just have to treat it like that and, and make sure that you are being very deliberate about how sales uses it. Because if you just like go into the sales Slack room and you're just like, at channel, made this thing for you, guess what? No one's even going to give you a party parrot reaction, let alone do what you want them to do. I mean, exactly like it is when you go on Twitter with your own episode and you're just like, hey, I made a thing. Care about yeah. it. Yeah, it's, yeah no, I, I like that. That's really, really great. So exactly. How have you found salespeople responding to this? Are they like, oh, wow, you've just made it so much easier for me to get closer to these people that I'm selling to? Or do they resist? Or do they push back? What's that dynamic like? I wish they would say the first part. I wish they would go, oh, this is so valuable. You've made it so much easier for me to engage in my accounts. I love you. Will you be the godfather to my child? That never happens, unfortunately. <laughs> and it's because salespeople are averse to change as a breed. <laughs> like the rest of us. Yes, yeah, like anyone. But they also remember their comp is tied to their success and specific behaviors. And so they know that they need to engage in these specific behaviors to hit their goals. And anything outside of that norm is going to be a little scary to them. 
So like, I think they understand the value of it, but just getting them to change the behavior and use it and keep you top of mind when they're talking to accounts, that's the best win for me is I get like an intro in my inbox unsolicited and it's a salesperson being like, hey, VP of whatever, thought you might be interested in our podcast. And I'm like, yes, it worked. They're thinking about me when they're in these deals and they're using it. That's what you want. But like I said, since they're averse to change, what you really need to do is find the most successful salesperson and you need to schedule time with them. And then once you get their buy-in, because they're successful and because sales is a scoreboard and because their name is at the top of their scoreboard and every single salesperson sees that, when they see that top salesperson exhibiting a behavior, they're like, oh, that must work. And all their heads turn. So if you can sort of get a couple of like the key producers, like the, the best salespeople to start using it, then all the other ones will fall in line. So start there. Definitely go to the meetings, definitely pitch. But once your enterprise sales rep, who's bringing in several million a year for the company, is posting on their LinkedIn and then get them to share, make them do a testimonial in your Slack. Be like, hey, that huge new upsell from this company, we got into that vertical because we featured them on the podcast. Make sure you're doing that storytelling. You're a marketer do the storytelling. And you have to do it internally as well as externally. And if you can do that, if you can get those people on your team, you'll have a much easier time. I love it. And how would you say this translates to maybe a smaller organization? There isn't a whole sales department. You know, maybe the people who are doing the selling wear other hats. How does it work on a more, I guess, fluid basis from a job role perspective? Yeah. If the sales organization isn't as mature, surely someone is still doing the selling. So whoever is just most successful is that. It might be the CEO. It might be yeah, someone who's like, oh, they're a Swiss Army knife. They're doing a little bit of everything. But again, focus on the people who are like respected in the organization because their endorsement will get you far. So I'd love to hear, before we wrap up, a little bit about your company, Soundbeam FM. Yeah, so Soundbeam Studios is the umbrella I put up over my activities. And the idea is that we sell these podcasts into companies as a key channel of their content marketing. And we have the ABM strategy. It's tied to revenue. It helps build an audience. There is brand equity as a piece of it. It's never the main selling point. But companies want to create an audience of future buyers and they want to engage with high-level accounts. You can do both with a podcast. And in a unique way, it informs every other content marketing channel. And every company needs great content whether it's copy for their website or sales enablement, one sheets. But your podcast has a unique ability to be the video strategy, to be the social strategy, to contribute to blog posts, to be repurposed into eBooks. It can also work great as a live event. You know, it's not that expensive to rent a venue and do your show for a couple hundred people. If you can get them in a room of, you know, existing contacts that your salespeople have, so it can just inform a content strategy in every way that other mediums really can't. And so that's kind of what we say to VPs of marketing. And that's what sort of lights their eyes up when we start talking about podcasts is that they can use this in lots of ways and that's going to help them engage with key accounts. Perfect. And if someone is ready for you to come in and start torturing their salespeople, what's the best way for them to get in touch? <laughs> I'm happy to torture any amount of salespeople. No contract necessary. <laughs> Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, Rob Stevenson, Twitter, Robster Tweets, the basic places. My website is just sort of like a landing page right now. I, it's just sort of like a, a parking spot. I have not focused on it because, you know, just producing these shows. But in time, we will expand the repertoire. We will expand the slate and fleet of shows and what have you. I'm very excited to hear them and excited to maybe see you on one of your tours as you're doing these marvelous live events. 
thank you so much for being here. I've so much enjoyed this conversation and I really appreciate the the details and the hyper-specific strategies that we can use to make our podcast more valuable. Happy to share. Thanks for having me, Megan. This has been great. Thank you for being with us today on the Business Podcast Blueprint. As always, I'm your host, Megan Doherty, and this show is created by the hard work of the whole team at One Stone Creative. If you're wondering whether or not a podcast might work for your organization, we've got a free ebook that will take you through the decision-making process and help you decide if it's the right and a potentially profitable move for you just now. You can download Will a Podcast Work for Your Business at onestonecreative.net slash work. That's O-N-E, stonecreative.net slash work.